good Sunday morning and welcome to Chapel Roswell. My name is Joe McKechnie and I am so blessed to be the pastor here. I'm glad that you're in worship with each and every one of us this morning and I pray that we'll just open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what it is that God wants to say to us, that God wants to do in us. This scripture this morning is a story that maybe some of you are familiar with. It's a story of hope. It's a story of fear, but then it's a story of the light coming into the midst of darkness. And I pray that you'll find yourself right where you are this morning, that you'll realize the hope and the peace and the joy that God wants you to live out, to take forth from our time together. Will you pray with me? Well, good morning, Heavenly Father. We thank you for your amazing and unending grace. Thank you for leading us all here together this morning, and may we live out your word and live out your truth. Speak to us as only you can, bringing hope where there is uncertainty, joy where there is pain, grace where there is sin. Lord, because of the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, may we not only learn about you, may we learn from you. We pray these things in Jesus' most holy and mighty name, amen. Now, how many of you know what an anagram is? What is an anagram? Just shout it out if you know. An anagram is when you take a word, and what do you do? You just rearrange the letters, and it forms another word. For example, if I use the word dormitory, you look at the word, and you can rearrange the letters, and another phrase or another word may come from this. Dormitory equals a dirty room. So, you kind of get the sense where we're going with this this morning, okay? You get the deal now. Let's say we were to take the word Presbyterian. If you rearrange the letters of Presbyterian, what do you get? True story. Best in prayer. What if you take the word astronomer? You rearrange the letters and you get the words moon starer. I love this next one. You take the Morse code. The Morse code, you rearrange the letters and you get this. Here come dots. <laughs> the eyes, two simple words, the eyes, you rearrange the letters and you get, they see. You kind of see where we're going. Slot machines, rearrange it, coins lost in me. <laughs> Three more to go, okay? We're going to get through this, I promise. 11 plus 2. Do the math this morning. You rearrange the letters and you get 12 plus 1. I love this next one. I don't ever want to get political in church, but you take the words George Bush, true story, rearrange the letters, and what do you get? He bugs Gore. <laughs> and finally, and I never would have guessed this, you take the word mother-in-law. Anybody want to guess where we're going? And I don't think this is true, but you rearrange the letters and you get... Mm. And my mother-in-law is here this morning, and that definitely does not describe her. But it's interesting how one word can look like one thing, but a different vantage point, it equals something else. And in our scripture reading this morning, we have a familiar passage, a similar passage, and you can read it with dread and fear, or you can look at it with hope and promise. 
Let me give you some backstory. We're going to the book of Numbers. In the Old Testament, the book of Numbers. It's the fourth book of the law of Moses. Also, the, the law of Moses is known as the Torah or the Pentateuch. And the law includes the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, very often in the, in the Old Testament especially, the, uh, the, the letters weren't given a specific title, and as the custom was of that day, they would simply become known as the first few words in that title. The first word in this Jewish writing, it literally means in the wilderness. So that's what numbers means, in the wilderness. Now, in this case, the wilderness represented something that was lonely, something that was barren, something that was isolated, something that was so far from anything else, out in the middle of nowhere. So the book of Numbers is appropriate because it also tells us about a census that was taking place. The census was when they would try to count all of the Israelites to see how many there were roaming throughout the wilderness. Two censuses were taken, and the 12 tribes of Israel were counted up. They were tallied in the book of Numbers. Perhaps the most famous passage from the book of Numbers is one with which maybe you're familiar. It's a priestly blessing that would be spoken over someone else. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. That's from the book of Numbers. But the, 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 the letter, the look that I want us to go into deeper this morning is when the Israelites were on the verge of the promised land. Remember, God had promised Abram that his descendants would inhabit a patch of earth that was in such high demand. In the Middle East, even today, the area is always hot in the news. But even back then, it was an area that was fought over. But God has promised his people the land of the Israelites, the land known as Canaan, would be the promised land. But it wasn't a piece of vacant land. It wasn't an empty lot that God was giving the people. It was a land that was inhabited by other folks, a lot of really big, fierce, tough folks. So I want to pick up the book of Numbers, chapter 13, Verses 17. Okay, here we go. When Moses sent them to explore the land of Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, if they are few or if they are many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good land? Is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are the trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and they explored the land from which the desert of Nan, as far as Rehob, towards Lebohamath. They went through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Aham, Sheshnai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Okay, remember that? That's good stuff. We're promised we're going to come in for a landing here. Hebron had been built seven years before Zone in Egypt. So don't let all these names confuse you, okay? All of these lands, all of these names are telling us that the 12 spies were, were investigating what kind of land was up in Canaan. What was it these Israelite, the Israelites could look forward to? When they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshcol because the cluster of grapes the Israel cut off 
At the end of 40 days, they return from exploring the land. Okay, Joe, what in the world does this have to do with our lives today? Well, think about it first. God is telling them that the land is amazing. The fruit was so plentiful, so large, that two strong men had to carry a branch of grapes on a massive pole. In fact, that depiction is on the logo of Israel's current tourism department. You can see the logo here with the big grapes, the big vine that, that's coming in. It's so, so hefty and so plentiful that two big, large, burly guys have to carry it. So the 12 spies are going, and then they're going to report back to Moses, report back what the land is like so the people could know what it was that they're getting themselves into. And so now we're going to pick it up at verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it truly does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there, oh my goodness, they are so powerful. The cities are fortified. The cities are very large. We even saw descendants of Anak. He was a giant. Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. In other words, God is, 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 is bringing to their eyes the fact that all of these other cultures are living in this land called Canaan. Like I said, it just wasn't deserted, empty land to which the people were going. They would have to fight off and fend to, uh, to, to, to tend off the people who were already there. That sounds like a mighty task, and that got the people kind of down and in despair. But then we hear about a guy named Caleb who steps forward. In verse 30, it says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. And this is what he said. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored, it devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. They are the descendants of Anak who come from Nephilim. And they seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. So you see, these 12 spies, they were sent out to, to investigate, to explore what the land was like. And then they come back, and everyone is saying, oh, my goodness, the, the land is truly of milk and honey. It's a great place to be, but, but the people there are too numerous. They're too mighty. We certainly can't take the land from them. And this negative attitude of just a handful of people started to pollute the entire population. It's interesting how negativity and fear can do that. It, it just kind of stirs up so much junk that we have. It really makes it kind of difficult to interpret what is reality and what is truth. It's interesting because history shows us that after wandering through the wilderness for years longer, none of the grumbling Israelites would make it to the promised land. Of that massive crowd, all of them would die in the wilderness before the Israelites entered that promised land. Everyone, that is, except for two people, Caleb and Joshua. You see, the Scripture says that Caleb and Joshua had such faith in God that even in the midst of seemingly utter defeat, they were less affected by their fear than they were by their faith. I mean, think about that. We're faced with similar situations in our lives. 
those things that seem like giants that get in the way of the, the hope and the peace that God wants us to live out. Many of you have heard about my call into full-time ministry when I was a TV sportscaster, but God was nudging me into leading a, a small group Bible study with high schoolers. And this went on for a, a couple of years until God was nudging me more and more to take a, a full-time job as a youth pastor. I hesitated. I stalled. I was in denial. And even as I asked God for purpose and meaning in life, I remember crying out, God, I'm living out what I wanted to do, but it still seems like it's empty. And God was giving me more and more words of purpose and meaning, but I was too afraid to make that leap of faith that he was calling me to make. Maybe some of us find ourselves in that pattern, in that place this morning where we're crying out, God, give me purpose and give me peace. Give me hope and give me joy. Give me a future. But we're so caught up in the fears that we're not able to embrace the truth that God has in store for us. The African impala, the African impala is this fast animal that has the ability to, to jump and leap great distances. It can jump 10 feet in the air to cover distances of 30 or more feet. I mean, that's amazing in itself. But, but you know what? Many African impalas have been incorporated into an enclosure that's only three feet tall. This animal that can leap, that can jump, is kept in bounds by a wall that's only three feet tall. You see, its instinct is allowing it to jump great distances, but if it doesn't know where it's going to land, it just doesn't make that leap. That means that the impalas stay trapped into an area that's only three feet tall because they can't see the destination. They can't see that future that God has in store. They can't make that leap of faith. And maybe some of us are in that place this morning. We can't make that leap of faith. We can't step out on faith because we can't see exactly where we're going to land. And that's right where the enemy wants to keep us trapped. Where we don't take that leap of faith. We don't step out in boldness and confidence because we don't know what the future looks like. A few weeks ago after the, the service, a, a young boy came up to me and he says, you know, Pastor Joe, I want to grow up and I want to give you a lot of money okay, I can understand that. Why in the world would you want to do that? Why would you want to give me money? And the little boy said, because my parents said, you're the poorest pastor they've ever seen. <laughs> I think about that. It'll come to you. You're the poorest pastor I've ever seen. Now, that really didn't happen. But I'm stepping out. Some of you know that Roswell United Methodist Church has a counseling center. It's tucked away back in the far corner of the campus, and they have four full-time counselors on staff, and people walk in through it with a lot of heavy, rough stuff that they're taking on in life. The, the counseling center is also home to a lot of 12-step programs and recovery ministries. You may have heard that when somebody is recovering or bouncing back from alcoholism or drug abuse, that they want to take it one day at a time. But you know what? Each and every one of us is recovering from something. We're a recovering sinner, and we're called to take it one day at a time. It's been said that we don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. Let me give you some true stories. These are fictitious names, okay? But these are absolutely true stories, and maybe you can relate to some of them. Cindy and Paul were both heartbroken, They'd been married for 15 years, but their passion and their love seemed to drift away like paper in the wind. 
Cindy was active in a Bible study, and she kept praying for her relationship with her husband, Paul. And over time, as she dug deeper into God's Word, she began to see Paul in a different light. No, he was not perfect, far from it. But she began, she began to, to see the ways in which he was hurting, and she was able to, to give him a little of peace and a little bit of restoration, a little bit of hope, and she could see how that went a long way. She started to be more deliberate, more intentional about the love that she was expressing to him. And over time, as her heart softened towards her husband, his heart began to soften towards her. The world would say that their marriage was beyond hope. But the supernatural says that God changes people and that they weren't beyond hope. Ken was active in the church, and by all appearances, he was a model citizen. But no one, you see, knew the alcohol addiction that he was battling. Ken couldn't see a way out, and he even thought about ending his life. But sitting in church one Sunday, the pastor mentioned one of God's promises, and it really resonated with Ken. He realized that despite the failures of his life, he, he was not too far gone, that there was hope, and that hope is Jesus. John was struggling inside. John had a, a decent job, but he was fear of losing it all as the company was making some cuts. And, and even at his current salary, he was living beyond his means trying to keep up with the Joneses. And he saw no way out of this. The debt was insurmountable. The anxiety that he experienced was even greater. But one Sunday after church, he asked the pastor if he would pray for him. And John left feeling a glimmer of hope, just a little bit of hope that kept him going and going. He was still scared, but God gave him that hope. He didn't know what the future looked like, but he could tell that God was holding that future. And finally, Tina was a young woman filled with regret. She had dropped out of college many years earlier when she became pregnant and married at an early age. But her marriage crumbles, and she was left to fend the, the brutal job market without a degree. She felt hopeless, and she felt helpless. She came to the job networking ministry here at RUMC on Monday evenings, and not only did she get a great meal, she met some wonderful people, many of whom would become her dear friends. And Tina was also able, because of job networking, to find a great job. And she's able to look back at those rough times, and she can see God's fingerprints all over that entire painful ordeal. You can see the tree back here, and you can see the wilderness. As we go through the season of Lent on the way to Easter, we may be struggling in our own version of the wilderness, that barren place. We're on the cusp of something amazing, but very often our fears get in the way to keep us from realizing what it is that God wants us to realize. Our son David is 11 years old. He's actually at a baseball tournament even as we speak. He's on a travel baseball team. He's a pitcher but I think back to when he started with baseball just a few years ago. He was so scared of getting hit by the ball that whenever the pitcher even would, would wind up, David would, would take a stumble and he would step out of the batter's box for fear that he was going to get hit. That was his biggest fear, and he couldn't get past that. Finally, one day he was hit with the ball, and he realized, you know what, that's not going to knock him down. That's going to just make him a little bit stronger. And so he's able to, to kind of banner up in the batter's box, and he doesn't tend to fall and shy away like he did when he first started. And you know what, you and I have experiences that are very similar. 
things that we think are going to knock us down, things that we think are going to hold us back. No, they won't. It seems like it will with the, 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 the fear that we encounter. But God wants to strengthen our courage muscles. He wants us to live by faith and not by sight. You see, when the Lord led the Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt, out of bondage, it should have been an 11-day journey, 11 days. Instead, it turned into 40-plus years. Why? Because the people were walking in their doubts and in their fears instead of the truth that comes only through God. They were their own worst enemies. They would grumble and they would complain. They would lose sight of the fact that God was on their side. How often do we get caught up in the same trap? We fail to remember, we fail to live out the truth that God is for us and not against us. And from this passage in the book of Numbers, we learn that sometimes the majority doesn't get it right, that even the greatest of enemies can be defeated, that even when we're battling the biggest of our foes, the biggest and the worst of our enemies, we can, with God, experience something greater. Gloomy reports, oh my goodness, gloomy reports are scary. Maybe you're dealing with a, a gloomy report from a teacher, maybe a gloomy report from the doctor, maybe a gloomy report from your boss or from your employer, maybe the gloomy news from someone in your family. At times, we're all going to be recipients of that, that gloomy news, and we can be a victor, or through God, we can be a victor and not a victim. Remember those anagrams? How the letters can be rearranged to give us a different look, a different vantage point. I think, friends, for a lot of us this morning, maybe God is saying, I want you to see things differently than you've ever seen them before. That what looks like gloom and doom, it's really not gloom and doom because we have the power of God with us and with us and through us. And God is giving us that report this morning. That very often we allow our fears, our anxieties to get in the way of the truth that God wants us to live out. Are we willing to see that truth, to live out that good news of Jesus Christ? You see this tree here, and it talks about the wilderness. And during our closing song this morning, we're going to invite you to, to come forward as you feel led. You'll see on the inside of the, the, the pews, you'll see a mason jar filled with pens. You'll see a pad of paper that are cut out in the shape of leaves that you can take the leaf and jot down or write down or draw something that symbolizes that fear or that anxiety, that stuff that's holding you back. And during the final song, we'll invite you as you feel led. You don't have to do it, but we invite you just to come and to, to place somewhere on the tree that, that, that symbol that, you know what, we're not going to be dragged down, we're not going to be defined by the labels of this world but whether, whether we have the opportunity to be overcomers because of the work that God is doing. Are we willing to see the truth of God's amazing love, the power of His truth, not what the world tells us, not what our society says about us, but the truth about what God is saying about you and about me this morning. Friends, will you pray with me? Father God, we can see the amazing artwork. And during our closing song, Lord, maybe you're inviting us to, 
take that piece of paper and write on it a, a word or a picture that represents something about which we are fearful. Maybe there's some gloomy news circling through our minds. There's uncertainty clouding our future. There's fear that is robbing us of hope. And Lord, we consent your invitation to to come forward, to, to stick that on the tree, Lord, to represent the fact that we are handing these things off to you, that we're not trying to carry them under our own strength for Lord. We've tried that before, and we can't do that. We're walking away, away from the gloom and the doom, and we're walking into the light of truth. And Father God, we thank you for the amazing ways in which you fight for us, the fact that you are for us and not against us. And Lord, during this time of stillness and silence, we ask that the Holy Spirit move through the areas of our lives in which we have tried to shut off. Maybe we've tried to shut it off to others, maybe to ourselves, maybe even to you. But Lord, you know all about us. And despite our sin, you offer Jesus as a Messiah to take away the sin of the world so that we can be in perfect restoration in a relationship with you. And Lord, this morning we're speaking about fear. Lord God, what are those obstacles in our lives? Those things that are holding us into shackles of darkness instead of lifting us into the hope of your light. That Father God, I pray that we can experience peace in the midst of pain. That we can look for and we can recognize, we can appreciate the light that you're shedding and shining down upon us. What are those things that you want us to take away from our time together this morning? Lord God, how are we called to live in peace? How are we called to live in your hope? Lord, how are we called to live in your joy? Allow us to sense your answers to the questions of the world. Father God, we love you and we thank you for first loving us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' most holy and precious name. Amen.